they, they have one point where uh, they, there's a guy that um, I follow. I only follow a few people on YouTube. I try not to do that too much. Uh, but he puts together a video usually showing the tomb of the unknown soldier at some point and, the tra and that changing of guard. Um, and one of the years he put up was a point where they were, it was like torrential rain was going on. <laughs> and it, there was very few people out there. But even in the rain, those guys were doing exactly as they had been shared to do, exactly what they were supposed to do. And that's what our troops around the world, and that's what folks are doing right now. Um, they're doing what they know that they're supposed to do, and they're going into places that are, uh, that are dangerous. And, and even, even though this day is not about all veterans, I believe that it is. And, and if we can take our time, take time to recognize anyone that has ever served this morning, I invite you to stand. I know I'm going to embarrass you, but if you've ever served, I invite you to stand so that we can recognize you as a veteran this morning. If you're serving now, too. Yep. Thank you for all you do and all, have, all you have done this morning. Um, uh, my, uh, one of my cousins, I know that this is a huge Marines area, but he's in the Air Force, and I try to make sure I call him uh, and, and, and con stay in contact with him uh, during times like this to let, let him know that I'm, care I'm praying for him constantly because, um, you know, he, he is, uh, to me, he's an inspiration in our family. Uh, he, he continued the military uh, tradition of our family on my mom's side where everybody else had kind of stepped, <laughs> stepped aside and done something different, but he wanted to. So, um, but he, he is, uh, I just, I, I feel so much pride to know that we have people in here and people around the world that, that I'm friends with or part of my family that serve in our country. So thank you very much. Um, if you've had an opportunity to be here over the last few weeks, we have begun a new sermon series on Revelation. And uh, this sermon series has sparked some conversation, to say the least. Uh, we have a small group that meets on Fridays, and they're actually studying through it as well. And uh, I love it. I'll get, I'll get texts or, or phone calls throughout the week, and they'll say, well, can you tell me a little bit more about this so we can talk about it in the Bible study? I love that. So if you ever have any questions, email me or whatever. I can help clarify some things. I can't go over everything in a sermon, or we'll be here till the cows come home. And that southern way of saying that you'll be here forever, okay? <laughs> um, so this morning, we're going to continue the sermon series. And uh, we're, we've been looking at this beginning, and we kind of talked about, how Christ is with us uh, through it all. And it, you'll hear this theme that Christ stands with us in the midst of everything, in the midst of life. No matter where we go, Christ is there. Jesus is with us. And we understand that not only is he with us, he's with the church. We talked about that the first couple of weeks, how he stands with the church as a whole. And he gives us the ability to stand with him. Uh, by providing things for us to, to, to stand. We, he's even provided each church with, I love it, a, an angel for us. Uh, it, it is amazing. He talks about the angels of the church and how he's given an angel to the churches. And so we, we have an angel for New Song. So if you step forth in, in the door, you have an angel that has been given as a part of our church. Uh, it's, it's part of the scripture that we have an angel as a part of our church. So we don't just stand alone. We know that Christ is with us. He stands in the church, and he also has given us that, that angel to stand with us. 
And we started talking last week about the church of Ephesus, and uh, they, they were doing some great things. It, it, we it, you know, Christ acknowledged that they were doing some fantastic things. John talked about the things that they had, uh, that they were, they were st uh, seeking truth, and they wouldn't allow people to speak out of line. They were, they were focused on doing the right things. And if you notice that John's letters start out, these are the things I like that you have done, good job, and then on the other side there is a part of the, this condemnation that he gives them. So Ephesus started out great. <laughs> and then it says, but this is what I want to share that you have not remembered. You have forgotten your first love. If you remember, Ephesus was a church that was so focused on making sure that people were doing the right things that were, in, in a way, kind of looking at if this person's speaking truth or if this person's not speaking truth. They were known for it, but they forgot to love people first, <laughs> and they forgot to love God first. And sometimes we're so focused on the small things that we forget the bigger picture. And their faith, in their faith, they had forgotten that bigger picture of who God was and how much he loved them, how much he called them to love other people. Well, this week we're looking at two churches. We're going to look at how God teaches us to stand strong in the midst of turmoil. And the first church is the church of Smyrna. And Smyrna is not, a, this letter is not very big to this church. It's actually one of the smallest letters. It actually has no condemnation for this church. There's two that, that have this. Uh, this is one of them that where he actually doesn't have a condemnation. He actually has, look, I'm warning you, something's coming. <laughs> and be, be warned with it. So let's listen to this letter this morning about the church in Smyrna. It says, uh, write to the, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. These are the words of the one who is first and last, who died and came back to life. I know your hardship and your poverty, though you are, you are actually rich. I also know the hurtful things that, you have spoken about, that have been spoken about you by those who say they are Jews, though they are not, but are really Satan's, in Satan's synagogue. Don't be afraid of what you are doing, of what you're going to suffer. Look, the devil is going to throw some of you into prison in order to test you. I will, you will suffer hardship for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life. If you, can't, if you can hear and listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, those who emerge victorious won't be hurt by the second death. So Ephesus and this church are really close together in our terms, but they're really far away in terms of ancient times. You have 35 miles between Ephesus and Smyrna, but there's a drastic difference between the trade and, and what's going on with these two communities. Uh, see, Smyrna was, at, at first, the first town of Smyrna wasn't even close to the coastline. But Smyrna began about two miles from the coastline. It was actually a fortified fortress of a town. And then in about 600 B.C., a group, of, uh, a group called the Lydians came in, and they destroyed this town. And they, just, they basically burned it to ash. I mean, it just completely destroyed. And so this town died, so to speak. And then later on, another group comes in uh, uh, that the, actually the followers of Alexander the Great used his plans that he wanted to rebuild the city on the coastline. 
So Alexander the Great came in, and he, he rebuilt this city on the coastline, and it became a great uh, tr- trade area, and it became this big city. And it was such a big city and such a uh, fantastic place of trade, and it had been brought back to life from the, by the Romans and by the Greeks, that it became the town that almost the town that represented, or the city that represented Rome. It was so much of a city that represented Rome that this, this, uh, this emperor named Tiberian, he, they actually made a, a temple and actually placed, uh, placed him at the head of the temple so that people could worship the emperor. It's a pretty crazy place. Uh, and, and this town, it was, such, it's, it was known as the first town. They started talking about this, the first town or the first city of Rome, because they were known for being such loyal people to Rome. Could you imagine being a Christian growing up in this place where it was known that every person in the town had to bear homage or actually bear witness and and bow down to Caesar as a god? That's what this town was like. So these people were growing up in this town, and, and, and Christians are growing up in a place, and, and they are told that, you know, and, and, and kind of looking in this town, you actually have uh, so much of the trade and commodity were not just traded normally. They were given as sacrifices to the Roman emperor like a god. So not only were they doing that, but they were not following through with the practices of the town, and they were trying to hold fast to their faith. So you have Christians... And, and they are actually trying to follow through and follow Christ in the midst of this almost like persecution or I would say tribulation, time where they're not sure what's going to happen, what's going to take place, what's going what's to take place in their life if they follow through with things. And these Christians are trying to do the right thing, and yet it says in the Scripture that the Jews, or so, does, so they say they're Jews, that's what John writes, right? So they say they're Jews or finding them and are actually talking about them behind their backs. Now, it's further than that, okay? The Jews were actually taking and, and turning the Christians in for not following the practices of the town and not bowing down to Caesar. Let me ask you a question. If they were good, practicing, faithful Jews, would they have done the same that thing that the Christians were doing? Yes. And that's why John writes, he says, look, he's like, you, you're, these Jews that say that they claim they're Jews, they're not really Jews at all. They're working for Satan himself because they're turning you in for what you're doing as, you, as you're doing the right thing. So the Jews were not even practicing what they're supposed to do, and they're turning in Christians for doing what they're supposed to do. It's a bad situation. And so Christ, or, or John writes to them, and he's writing to them in the middle of this persecution, and he, he wants to give them this, um, this encouragement. And, and what would happen is, is if you were caught doing what you weren't supposed to do, you would actually be taken and put in, put in prison, and then there are stories of, of Christians that were put in prison, all, all sorts of horrible things would happen to them. There's, you know, and, and so I'm going to kind of share one of, a part of one of those stories of Perpetua. Uh, if you ever want to know a little bit more about this, the story of Perpetua is, is an awesome story of a Christian martyr. And uh, it says, soon after her arrest, uh, Perpetua, who was pregnant at the time, her, they got her father to come in and try to talk some sense into her. 
And she was a Christian in the upper part of North Africa, that area of Christendom. And so this was around 150 uh, A.D., um, a little bit after John's letter uh, to the Revel- to Revel- in Revelation, but the, the same persecution is taking place at the time. And so Perpetual was asked by her father, it says in this story, um, to convince her to turn away from her faith so she could save her life. And this is how she responded by, it says, Father, as she's in jail, as she's in prison, she says, Father, do you see this jar? And she's pointing over a piece of pottery on the floor. She said, do you see this jar over here? He says, yeah. She said, is it anything else but a jar? And he said, well, it can't be anything else but a jar. She said, well, I can't be anything other than being a Christian. That's who I am. <laughs> And he got angry at her, and it says that he, he, he got so angry that he wouldn't talk to her, he wouldn't see her. There's more to the story than that. And later on, she was brought before the Roman, uh, she was brought before the Roman arena, and she was praying. And these, they sent out what it says, wild beasts. They're not sure who it was, what it was, but they were sent out these wild beasts to go after her. But it says that, they, that during her prayer, the wild beasts walked up and turned around and went after their masters. Because they, God was protecting her. Later on in the story, uh, she was facing a Roman centurion who was there, a gladiator who was there to hurt her. And he lifted her up to, to throw her down and kill her. And it says that she hit him in the right place two times and he fell to his knees and then he died. A gladiator versus a pregnant woman who is faithful. And then later on it says that, that she was put up for execution and she went through this whole thing. And without getting into full details, uh, she, she, was, she was holding fast to her faith and they were going to run her through with a sword. And it says that a Roman centurion who was in front of her, the guard that was not quite as, uh, he was, he was kind of new to everything, did not, do the, do, uh, did not stab her in the right place and she lived. So this person who was full of faith, God protected through her persecution. God protected her through her life. So persecution is going to come. That's what John is saying. And it's not going to be something that's easy. But he says, hold fast to your faith. He says, if you do so, I'm going to give you a crown now, is, is this crown something that, that has uh, jewels on it and is gold? I mean, you think of a crown that way, right? Except in the Roman world, when they're looking at crown and victory, they're actually not thinking crown like we think of. They're actually thinking of a crown or a wreath that go over someone's head like the Olympic Games. When you win something in the Olympic Games, when you win victorious over things, you are given a wreath to put on your head to share that you have given, been given victory. And so what John is sharing with them is that hold fast, fast to this race that you're winning, that you're running, and at the end of it, you're going to get a crown, and you're going to receive life, and not what it says as the second death. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Hades. I shared a little bit about Hades, and if you'd like to know a little bit more about that, just... Um, I'll, I'll have a link on the website for you so you can look at 
what um, the difference between Hades and hell is. So Hades in the New Testament is another way of saying the Hebrew term, which is Sheol. And Sheol and Hades is a place where you hold the dead, the place of the dead. And when Christ died on the cross, it says that he went to Hades, he found those people who had died before him, and he took them up to heaven. And he, that resurrection, that initial resurrection takes place. That's something that has been taught in uh, the Nicene Creed. It's been taught throughout the church. And so this place of Hades is a little different. Well, now we have this term that says the second death. (laughs) And uh, someone who was super smart this morning pointed out to me, you have an opportunity to be born twice in your life, or if you're not born twice, you're going to die twice. (laughs) So there is this place, there is this time where you die, that physically at some point in our life we're going to die. I mean, it's going to happen. Uh, hopefully uh, later than sooner. I mean, I would like to live a little bit more in my life, but if it happens, it happens. But this, this second death is something that we don't want to go through. In early Christendom, they, they thought of second death as being this time where not only you have died, but your soul is separated from God. That's your second death. You cease to be in a, in a relationship with God ever again. Now, could you imagine anything worse than a hell, than being away from God for all eternity. And what that means is, if you're away from God, you are away from any type of relationship ever again. You're away from any type of love, any type of warmth, any type of comfort, any type of peace. All the things that God created when he created the world, you are separated for eternity. That's the second death. So what it is saying is this, hold fast, John shares with the people of, of this church in Smyrna, he says, hold fast to your faith, you're going to be persecuted. And if you do, if you do, then you're going to be given a crown and you're not going to have to go through the second death. You're going to, have this, you're going to be able to be in a relationship with God for the, all eternity. You'll have life instead of death. Isn't that awesome? That he's offering life and life eternal for them to hold fast. And when he says that you're going to be persecuted for 10 days, now here's a new number. If you haven't seen it before, we haven't talked about it. 10 days. 10 days just simply means the right amount of time for time to take place. So we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we get further in. But it is not meaning exactly 10 days. It means a full t- amount of time for you to, to, be, uh, to be persecuted. And so John is just saying, look, it's going to take this amount of time for you to be persecuted. It could be 10 days, it could be 100 days, it's going to be a number of 10. And it, we'll see other times where 10 is used in Revelation to talk about very similar things. So we, we see this, that you're going to be persecuted for an amount of time, and you're going to have to follow through with being faithful. And if you do, then you're given a crown and new life in, in Jesus Christ, and you don't have to go and through the second death. And so, in other words, stand strong in faith, even though the world seems like it's coming down around you, even though you are having to live differently than everyone else, even though you feel like that you are alone, I'm here with you. Remember, Christ is in the church. Christ is in the middle of this suffering, is in the middle of this persecution. Even though you may be surrounded by your enemies, I'm there with you to face your enemies. And I ask that you stand strong. And stand strong because you're not standing alone. You are standing with others. You're standing with my strength. If I'm a Christian and I'm being persecuted, I want to hear this. And I think that in a world today, as people have to have, sometimes have to have a choice to stand strong, they need to hear these words, that you're not ever standing alone 
in life. And there is a, a real reward for standing firm in your faith. There is a real reward for it because you will, you will receive life eternal in standing with Christ and not, versus not standing with him. And then it goes on in the second letter to Pergamum. Pergamum's a church that, man, I, I wouldn't want to live in a city I wouldn't want to ever live in. It says, uh, as John writes to this church, it says, Write this to the angel of the church in Pergamum. These are words of the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know that you're living right where Satan's throne is. Does that sound awesome? Everybody say no, please. Okay, all right. It doesn't sound awesome at all, does it? I don't want to live here. Uh, John, it's, John's really saying that this town has Satan's throne in it. We're going to talk about it in a moment. You're holding on to my name, and you didn't break faith with me, even at the time of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan lives. Again, Satan has been called out at this town again. But I have a few things against you, because you have some, where, some there who follow Balaam's teaching. Balaam had taught Balak to trip up the Israelites so that they would eat food and sa food sacrifice to idols and commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you have some who, who follow the Nicolaitans' teaching. So change your hearts and lives. If you don't, I'm coming to you soon and I'm, I will make war on them with the sword that comes from my mouth. If you can hear, listen what the Spirit is saying to the churches, I will give those who emerge victorious some of the hidden manna to eat. I will also give each of them a white stone with a new name written on it, which no one except the one who knows it except the one who receives it. So as John writes this church, there are <laughs> there's a lot of things going on here. The first thing we hear is that they are living in a town that where Satan's throne is called out. I'll give you a little bit of history of Pergamum. Pergamum actually had this temple there uh, that, was, <laughs> that was actually dedicated to this, this uh, almost like snake worship. They believed that the god of, of that they were worshiping was like a part of the snake. <laughs> and so for John, who is a Jew before he was following Christ, right, the actual picture of Satan himself is going to be a serpent, goes back to Genesis, right? And so when he says that Satan's throne is in this place, he is talking about the specific temple. And, and it was so prominent in this town that it had like these areas of the temple you could bring people who were sick, and they thought that if they stayed there, the snakes would come out, and they actually had snakes in the temple. They would come out. You'd love this, Tiffany. They would come out, and they would bite you, and, and you would be healed. Anybody like snakes? Yeah, I don't like them either, and so I don't know if I'd ever want to be in this town at all. <laughs> if the snakes decided they wanted to go out, um, I'm going to be leaving as far away from this place as ever I could get. <laughs> um, the closest I've ever been to something like this is when I was in Wilmington, and I decided to go visit. Uh, this, there's a big area that has nothing but snakes in it. It's like a museum or something, reptile museum. If you want to go there, it's got some of the most poisonous snakes in America, and, and I kind of walk through that place, and I'm like, all it would take is a really bad hurricane, and we're going to have a lot of problems in Wilmington. That's all i got to say. <laughs> and, and I kind of worry about that at times, but, you know, I, I don't live there, so hopefully they stay over there if something does happen. Um, but, you know, this temple, 
is this, in the middle of this temple is this throne that, that would have a place of worship. They would worship this, this snake god. And, and, then, and then here John is calling them out and he's saying, look, in the middle of this town, you guys are living in the middle of this place that I'm going to say is Satan's throne. And you're standing firm, some of you, but then it says some of you are following Balaam's teaching. You know, Balaam has come up again. Now, remember, I talked about Balaam being this guy that God talked about that had to use, had to actually cause his donkey to speak to him to get him to turn on the road because he wouldn't listen to God. Well, Balaam's never been a good guy. Um, Balaam was trying to turn Israel, the Israelites against God because all they wanted to do is make sure Israel didn't get what God had promised them. And, and, and why? Because they were, they were going to war against the Israelites. And so Balaam was trying to trick them and knew that if he could trick them into doing uh, things that were against God, that they would lose God's favor and God would, they would lose the war. And so he would get people, he would trick the Israelites to do things uh, like commit, uh, commit adultery or sexual immorality or any other things that go along with those, those statements. And so we also have this story, the teaching of the Nicolaitans, that there's people that are following this. This group seems to be kind of following around Rome that are getting people to lose sight of what Christ's teachings were. And it says in here that it gets really serious. It says, but I, when it says, I have a few things against you, it says, so you need to change your lives, and if you don't, I'm coming to you soon, and I will make war on them with the sword that comes out of my mouth. That sounds really strange, doesn't it? <laughs> the sword that comes out of my mouth. What is truth? Truth, in the Word of God, is, it says it's sharper than a double-edged sword, right? Truth that comes out of God's mouth, if you are on the wrong side of it, and what I call the anti-side of it, it's going to hurt when God speaks. Because when God, God judges against those that are doing wrong, it's going to hurt. And even in my life, when I have been doing wrong and someone calls me out on it, it doesn't feel good. And in fact, I kind of get a little defensive at first, and then I'm like, well, this, person's, this person loves me. They're trying to teach me something here. Maybe I need to calm down and listen. But being on the wrong side of that, it hurts and that's what it's saying. If you're on the wrong side of this, when Jesus, when, when you have chosen to do the wrong, when you've chosen to follow the teachings of Balaam, when you've chosen to follow the teachings of the Nicolaitans, when you are following through with all the stuff that's around you, when you look like the people you're not supposed to look like because you've gotten so far indulged in that culture, then I'm going to make war, it says, against them. But all of a sudden, them has become you. I'm going to make war against them. And if you're on the wrong side of that, then you're going you're to feel the wrath of what God's truth is. It says the, the sword that comes out of my mouth. You see, in, later on in chapter 19 of Revelation, we're going to see Jesus on a horse. We're going to see his saints next to him. But he says one thing. There's never a war. All he does is speak one word. And everything that is bad ceases, and everything that is good prevails. God doesn't go to war with swords and, and chariots and horses. And in fact, in Psalms it teaches us some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots. But we will trust in the name of our God. 
God doesn't use swords and chariots. He doesn't use those, those things that are, that are useless against him. He says that he can speak and the very mountains will be moved. That we can speak and that power can move mountains. Why does he need anything but the truth to make war against those that are evil? So be, be weary and I think that if we hear a little bit about what's going on in our culture and in the world around us, we ought to be very scared that our church could become like Pergamum, to where we are so engrossed in culture that we forget who we really are. And we forget to speak the truth. We, we, but we also forget our first love as we look at Ephesus. I think in our world around us, we need to begin to look and see who we really are as Christians. Are we following, are we following who in this world is Christ-like? Are we supporting who in this world is Christ-like or are we not? In our lives, our ministry, our money, whatever it might be. We need to start taking a stand in being the church that we're called to be. And standing up for people that can't stand up for themselves. And sharing the love with people that, that have never heard it before in their life. And being the church that we're called to be and not being the culture that's around us, that's surrounding us. And it says later on in this letter, it says, If you can hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, I will give those who emerge victorious secret manna and also a white stone with a name on it that only those who, know, who have it will know who, what it is. In other words, first off, secret manna, I love it. It connects the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it connects us with the Israelites in the wilderness. So these folks who are Christians are living in a, a tribulation time, a, 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 this time where they're almost like in a wilderness. And if we go back to the time of wilderness of the Israelites, the Israelites were giving, given this bread called manna from heaven as they were starving in the wilderness, as they were looking for food. They said, hey Moses, we're dying out here. If we don't get something, we're going to go back to Egypt. At least we had bellies full of, uh, our, our bellies were full there even though we were slaves. And Moses is like, you're, you're hard-headed. Don't you understand that, I can, that, that God can provide? And so God, him and God talk, and all, all of a sudden God says, look, I'm going to give you manna from heaven. Now, secret manna is a little different. In fact, there's this, this part where um, it, there's a rabbonic uh, legend that started being passed down from generation to generations in teaching. And one of those things was saying that there's a part of this manna that had been collected in, in a golden kind of jar. And was also kept along with the, the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and then the temple. And there's a hidden, in other words, there's a hidden manna that's followed this ark along. And it, it, you see, here see hints of it in Amos, you see hints of it in Jeremiah, the secret manna, so to speak. Now, the, the, everything gets destroyed in 1586 BC when the temple is destroyed. And so everything's lost. We have the ark that's been lost. We have anything else that's uh, scrolls. All that stuff was burned. It was, it was destroyed. And, and it was lost in history. We don't know anything about where it might be. And so in this, in this time, all the stuff had been lost. And then Jesus comes. 
And this is where it really gets good. Because when Jesus is speaking at the table, he actually, this tradition of understanding what bread is, the tradition of understanding the bread from heaven, Jesus has stated that he is the bread from heaven. In other words, he is the manna that God has provided. And if you're a Christian, if you stand firm, you're going to be able to dine, in other words, at the table of grace with God, and you are going to be given the secret manna who is Christ himself. You're going to be able to dine with Christ at his table. We are connected by God sharing, hey, look, I'm going to give you all you need to get through this wilderness. This is, if you need to have whatever you need to get through this tribulation, I'm going to give you. Just trust me. Trust me. And then he says, I'm going to give you a white stone with the name on it that only you know. See, there's all sorts of people that try to write stuff about this white stone. We are, we are not sure what specifically it can mean in this context, but we know that there are societies throughout Rome that if you are to enter into a society anywhere, that you would be given a stone, they would use stones and they would write a certain name on it and you would be able to enter that society. If you didn't have that stone, they would not let you in. And so someone reading this would understand, well, I'm going to be given an entrance into the society or to God's kingdom for what I am doing as a faithful Christian. So Jesus is sharing with them to stand strong against the world around them that seems to be oppressing them that stand strong against those that are around them that seems to be coming down on them. Stand strong against temptation of turning away from your faith. Stand strong with the surrounding world that's oppressing you. Stand strong and you will receive the reward of being able to dine with God and have your entrance into heaven. Stand strong and you will be given the crown of victory instead of worrying about the second death. Stand strong and firm in Christ. I believe this week, God is sharing with us as a church, through the, the, the folks that are being persecuted, through the folks that are being tri have tribulation in front of them, through the folks that may be surrounding, maybe it's us, but God is teaching the church this week to start standing firm in our faith. Standing for Christ, speaking up for those that can't speak for themselves, sharing with others when people feel like that they're not loved, that to let them know that they are loved. Being faithful followers and disciples of Christ, even when it's hardest. And sometimes it means that we'll be ridiculed. Sometimes it means we're going to go against the status quo. Sometimes it means that we're going to speak up when others won't. But standing firm in our faith for Christ and for John and Revelation, it means everything. It means everything. So this week I invite you to stand firm in your faith. To hold on to Christ. To hold on to the truth and know that Christ is with you. That you're never standing alone, but always standing with Jesus who's with you. Let's pray. God, we just give you thanks that we can stand with you. God, we just give you thanks that no matter what, uh, that you can speak to us truth and that I just prayed this morning that if, if someone heard to stand with you, that, that they'd be given the strength to do so this week if they have those opportunities, God. Lord, I just pray that um, all of us here will love you the way that uh, you loved us, if it's possible. <laughs> Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for being with us this week. Thank you for um, giving us this 
this day for us to live for you. And God, we just thank you for all those faithful followers of Christ that have shared the faith over the years, that have stood up for you even when it was hardest. And God, we just pray that as we go through this day, God, that you will uh, send us forth with a new passion to stand with you in faith and to love you the way you first loved us, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand and sing with us as we close uh, the service with a final song.